because God is love. Thank you for that. Thank you for the songs this morning that have helped us reflect upon your beauty, your majesty, your strength, your redemption that you provided for us. All the things that come to us that are in Christ are so beautiful. That our promises of God are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that. And now today I pray that as we come into your word and as we study it together, oh God, just set it aflame in our hearts. Make our hearts blaze with passion for the truth that sets us free. So thank you, Lord, for this. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to the children's ministry. The nursery is open. The mother's room is open. All kinds of stuff going on here. <clears throat> well, today we want to embark on a, a new series that uh, we're going to look at for the next 10 weeks. And in this series, we are going to focus ourselves on uh, some teaching that is known as soul care. How many of you have heard of soul care before? If you've heard of that, yeah. So this is a, a weekend uh, that is coming to our church in the month of May, and it will be on the 7th, which is a Thursday starting at 7. So it'll go Thursday night, all day Friday, which means that some of you may have to talk to your employer so you can get the day off so you can come. Unfortunately, that's the only way we could do that th this time. And then all day uh, Friday, all day Saturday. And in, during this conference, we are going to be really having and asking and seeking the Holy Spirit to work in our souls, thus the name, soul care. And part of the journey of the Christian is actually to invest in ways that help us develop the soul that God has given to us in the Christian walk. This is a daily routine, but unfortunately for many of us, we're, we're sort of sold, I think, a negligent gospel. And by that, I simply mean this, that we're told that, you know, we invite Jesus to come into our lives. It's beautiful. We're going to celebrate that today where he's come, he's died for us so that our sins could be forgiven by his blood. And then three days later, he rose again in major triumph over the death that is, of course, the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus conquered death. He conquered it all. And then when we believe in him by faith, he takes all that happened during that time and sinks it and weaves it into our souls, into our spirits. Our spirit, the Bible says, comes alive. Before Jesus comes in, our spirit is dead. We're dead in our transgressions, the Bible tells us. And then when Jesus comes in, he sets us alive. And one of my favorite verses that I use to remind myself of this truth all the time is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Anybody know it off by heart? I love it because it tells us that, Behold, all things are new. That in Christ, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So we are new creations when Christ comes in and does the work that we are going to celebrate later in the service. He does the work in our souls. He forgives our sin. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. He sets us free. He makes us holy. Have you ever noticed that in the scriptures, that when it's talking about the saints, that's what saints means. Saints means holy ones. That's what it means. So turn to your neighbor and say, hello, saint. Come on, hello, saint. <laughs> Hello, saint. 
I love how it teaches us that we are to greet each other with a holy kiss. You know, I mean, we don't practice that much in North America, and I remember the first time it happened to me, I was shocked, and I was like 16, 17 years old, like a bored, some lady kissing me on the cheeks, I didn't know what to do. <clears throat> We're to greet each other with a holy kiss. Why holy? Because that's what saints do. Saints are holy people, and when you get a kiss from a saint, you get a holy kiss. But the problem is this, right? We all know that those are wonderful truths, and they are to sink into our soul, and we are to live them out daily. But the problem is living them out daily. What happens is, is that we have this wonderful truth, this absolute truth. It's a promise and a truth kind of woven together that when we come into Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So you are new created people in your soul. But what's it like to live with each other? Hey, it can be tough, right? Who knew holiness was so tough to live around? And that's not because of holiness. That's because we haven't caught up to what God has put into us. And so the journey of faith, the journey of the Christian life, the journey of maturing in this Christian walk is actually combining those two things. Did you know that a biblical term, anxiety, is actually the same word for instability or double-mindedness? So when we are anxious, we are of two minds. So if you look at your life and you think to yourself, you know, I struggle with this sin and I haven't been able to beat it. And it creates in us a sense of anxiety. Because it's a double mind. Because we know what the truth is, and yet the practice of it isn't matching and so inside our soul, we feel this tension. That's called anxiety. That's called double-mindedness. And we are unstable in all our ways, according to James chapter 1. So how do we solve the problem? How do we get through this? Well, as we journey over the next 10 weeks, we're going to take a look, a close look, at seven principles. Now, some of them will be one message. Today is one message. Now, last Sunday, I borrowed one of those messages time so we could talk about children and youth ministry. Uh, so today we have to kind of squish two messages together. So hopefully we won't go too long. You pray that we don't go too long. <laughs> Can you imagine how much information there is to go through? The first principle of soul care is knowing who you are. It's knowing who you are, not just with your head, but in your heart and experiencing it, the truth of it in your walk, your daily walk. Knowing your identity. Do you remember when we had Holy Spirit Encounter here? Anybody hear from that? We had over 90 people come to that. That was absolutely delightful. It was a walk through how the Holy Spirit is meant to, in, to work in our lives. He comes into our lives. He, he helps us. He's divine. He, he's a divine deposit into our souls to help us in the transformation process. And so we lean on the Holy Spirit to do these things. But sometimes it's helpful. I was thinking of uh, the parks, you know. Randy's a park guide, you know, he used to be anyway, so I don't know if he still does that. But if you have a park guide, it's totally different than going out into the parks by yourself. If you go by yourself, like I would, so you go out by yourself, you miss most of what you're looking at. You're just enamored by the beauty and the smells and it's a lovely walk, and there's, you know, oh, look at that mushroom. I should pick it and eat it. No, 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 you shouldn't, right? 
You need a guide along to tell you, hold on, don't touch that one. And the guide picks out, he points out different flowers, different foliage, different ways the trees are, different ways the mosses are. It's a whole different journey when you have a guide. Would you agree? Well, when you have a guide like the Holy Spirit, he comes along and he shows you the things that really are important to you. And so now our job is to kind of go, whoa, yes, of course, and to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish. That is why I love how it tells us everything has become new. It's like this greatest hope. I can change, even me. I can change. I can not only change, but I can actually transform. When I say change, I mean transform. Today or yesterday I was watching a, one of those nature shows and it was all about caterpillars who change into uh, monarch butterflies. Okay, there's probably the most beautiful butterflies, eh? But as a caterpillar, you know, they're the most poisonous. And they grow, they're these ugly little things that just keep munching away. And I love the sound effect because, you know, the, it's like they put a soundtrack to it. So this big caterpillar's munching away in a leaf, and you hear crunch, 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 crunch as he's munching, right? And he gets into the cocoon, and a little while later, he comes out as a beautiful butterfly. That's the same idea. In fact, that word in the scripture, metamorphi, the Greek word is the same word we get metamorphosis from. It's how we change. We transform from lowly caterpillars, very poisonous, into beautiful butterflies. It's just a lovely way to view what God wants to do in your soul. And so we're meant to be on this beautiful journey. So, last week we talked about Sunday school. One of the beautiful things about Sunday school, and this is why it's so important to bring your kids and your grandkids to Sunday school. It's during the Sunday school formation that many of us, maybe even most of us, learn the Sunday school stories. You know, the David and Goliath stories. Is there anybody here that has never heard of David and Goliath? Well, you'd be embarrassed if you raised your hand, I know. How about doing it this way? How many of you have heard of David and Goliath? <laughs> it's a fantastic story, isn't it? The little guy against the big guy, right? The underdog, the, the underdog against the strong man. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many good things about that story. But it is actually one of those stories that God gives to us for a specific reason. In fact, if you study the scripture, in Romans chapter 15, it tells us everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So yes, it's about the little guy overcoming the big guy, but that's not what really that story's about. Most people that don't know the story well would say that's what it's about. They'll even use it as an illustration in their talk. They'll say it's kind of like David versus Goliath, right? This little company versus this big company. Well, that's partly true, but it certainly misses some of the meat and potatoes of that story. So you have David, who grew up in Jesse's home, right? Jesse was dad. And he had several brothers. Probably the most impressive was Eliab. Big, strong, handsome warrior. Dude. Man among men. All right? And you have David, who ends up being out in the shepherd fields most of the time, which is kind of like, you know, if you want to get rid of somebody, you send them out to the paddock to look after the sheep. 
But during that time, David invested his time learning about God. And in fact, it even tells us that at one point, a bear came against the sheep. And another point, a lion came against the sheep. And David defeated them both. And he contributed those little victories, little victories, to helping him grow in his faith. Trust in God. The Lord saved me. He saved me from the bear and he saved me from the lion. They were testimonies of God's grace. Well, not so the other brothers. Now, it's really quite something. Because if you think about your families, and we were talking a little bit about this on the way here. In a family, so many things can happen. One person becomes a doctor. Another person becomes a drug addict. How does that happen? They all experience the same things. Right? In this case, it was a father who passed away early. Is that right? So it was a father who passed away early. One sister becomes a noted doctor. The other goes into a slide into darkness. Ends up pregnant on drugs. And you think to yourself, why? How does that happen? It's the same thing in our families. We look at our families. We look at our kids. They came up in the same household that you know, we all grew up in. But each of them has such a unique twist on what took place in the family. Are you following? So what do we do with some of these things that either hinder or help us? And sometimes even in the helping, we can get very proud and arrogant about who we are when we compare ourselves to maybe our sister who's a drug addict. You see, it can turn twisty even in good things. It can go sideways even with positive stuff that has happened to us because we've decided to grow a different way. We must understand that in our souls, lots of crazy things happen. And how we manage those things before God is really what matters. So, Goliath is calling out the Israelites, right? The two armies come together. They say, listen, instead of a huge bloodbath, why don't we just send out our champions? Only they got a giant for a championship? Okay, that's a little unfair. And Eliab, who's probably one of the biggest and strongest, he realizes, I am no match for that dude. If Eliab is no match, how is Israel going to win this? And it throws the entire army into disarray. Even David's brothers were fearful. And it led to a complete inaction. The stalemate just kept going and going. And he'd come down into the valley and curse Israel and curse their God. And they'd all cower and hope nobody stepped forward. They all wanted Saul to step forward because he was the tallest man in Israel, apparently. King Saul said, no, I'm not going. So what? It's a stalemate. How are we going to get through this? So a shepherd boy shows up. At just the right time. I love how those stories happen, right? At just the right time. Sounds like an Irish story. <laughs> a wee lad appeared. Just as the Goliath, the big man, was mouthing off and defying Israel and the armies of Israel. And how did he respond? Who does this heathen think he is? Defying the armies of the living God. Whoa. Everybody's shocked. Eliab takes David aside and says, David, hey, <laughs> shut up, man. <laughs> you, you're like a shepherd. Get, what are you even doing here? 
well, Dad sent me to bring you guys some groceries. <laughs> and he starts to investigate. And he starts to realize that nobody, nobody wants to fight him. Nobody wants to bring him down. And so this young guy, he sees this as a defilement of God's standards. And so they try to help him out. They try to convince him. No, 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 no. You're not going to go down there. You and your little sling. Nah, not a chance. Not against this mighty warrior. And they give all the measurements, like, you know, the, the weight of the spear tip, as if that matters to us. And so finally they consent, okay, 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 you can go, but you've got to put on some armor. You can't go down there without any armor on. So they try to fit young David into giant Saul's armor. And guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. There's so many things in this story that are so helpful. If we try to manage Goliath in our souls by putting on all kinds of helpful things like positive thoughts and good therapy and Hey, come on, bring it on. You know, as much as, uh, what's her name on TV? Um, oh, her name just went out of my head. Oprah, right? So many positive thoughts. Those are like unfitting armor. They can't help you in the battle of your soul. And so there you are, trying on Saul's armor. It doesn't work. And he marches up against Goliath. And Goliath mocks him. You've come to me with sticks and stones. Come at me. I'm going to chop your head off and feed your body to the birds. Ooh, pretty intimidating. And David doesn't run away. He runs toward him. That's what the scripture says. And while he's running, he takes one of those five stones that he collected out of the riverbank and he flings that thing and hits him right square between the eyes, knocks him down. And then he uses his own sword to cut off his head. And you think, ooh, that's a pretty gross story. Pretty violent. But you know, that's the thing about the scriptures. They're written to teach us not about being violent because the battle that rages within our souls is like David and like Goliath. And in our flesh, we can't beat it. But for the king and in his strength and in his armor, we can. We can do it. And so he runs at this, this giant and proclaims the Lord and his victory over him and knocks him down. What an old story, hey? Do you remember it? When's the last time you read about David and Goliath? So helpful. It gets into your soul. That's the beauty of going to Sunday school. That's the beauty of children's ministry is that it helps you as a young kid expand your imagination so you can begin to see the beauty of, of these battles. And you, you don't fully understand it, but you know the story. And then older, when you get older, when you start to mature and get older in age, and you start realizing some of the problems and issues you have, that's when the story of David and Goliath comes in handy. Because now it's a surgical tool. It's a helpful way to think. The story is full of little bits and pieces that you never noticed before because all you saw was the big story. But in the bits and pieces, that's where you find the truth. 
that can help set you free. Help set you free. There are New Testament stories that are like this as well. Some of the giants that are faced in the New Testament are not quite as obvious as Goliath. In fact, there's a story in the New Testament in the book of Acts about two people who were married named Ananias and Sapphira. How many know that story? Come on, let me see your hands. You learned it in Sunday school, right? What a weird story. So the story is about two married people. The church is growing like crazy, and they need help. They need money to make things happen. Just like we take a collection every week, you know, that helps this church go. We get to help people with it. We get to pay the pastors so they can spend their time counseling and studying and helping people and preaching and teaching. It all works very well. And so the church was growing and the need for finance was growing. And so Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell some land because others had done the same thing. And so they decide to sell some land, only they conspire together. And they want the, you know, the prestige of giving to the church, but they don't want people to know that they kept back some for themselves. Now, was that a problem? Absolutely not. The problem is, is that they wanted to pretend, they wanted to fake that they'd given it all. That's the problem. And you think, okay, that's pretty serious, I guess. It's lying. Lying is serious, right? So lying happens when we don't tell the truth or when we cover up the truth or when we give only as much truth as makes us look good. Are you with me? I mean, lying isn't just going, you know, Kevin is now 27. That's a lie. Okay, that's a lie. But it can be so much more. It can be so much more deceptive. And it can be tricky, and our mind is very, very creative at coming up with ways of deceiving people about what we don't want them to know, only what we do want them to know. And for the reasons that we want them to know, not the reasons that everyone else should know about. Are you with me now? This is all going on inside. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they decide that they're going to lie. And so what do they do? They bring their gift to the church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Ananias comes first because I guess Sapphira was busy at home making bread or something. I don't know. He shows up first. He meets Peter, the Saint Peter, the, the Apostle Peter at the door. And Peter says, ha, good to see you, Ananias. Hey, listen, is the gift that you're giving, is that the full amount? Ananias says, what? Oh, yeah. And Peter looks at him in the eyes. This is what he says. Listen carefully. Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? What? Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, you know, okay, maybe there was a bit more here than we were letting on. Nobody was intending to lie to the Holy Spirit. Keep going. You lied to the Holy Spirit, have kept some of the money for yourself when you received it for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? The answer is yes. And after it was sold, wasn't the money yours at your disposal? The answer is yes. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard those words, he fell to the ground dead. 
And I don't know if this is meant to be funny, but it says all the young men picked Ananias up and took him out and buried him. That would be quite a church service, don't you think? If God struck everybody down for lying, oh my goodness, well, we wouldn't be here. Am I right or am I right? That's not the end of the story, though. A few hours later, Sapphira shows up. Sapphira does not know what's happened to Ananias. She thinks her hubby is probably in some kind of parade where they're honoring him. (laughs) And she shows up three hours later. And Peter basically asks her the same thing, and she answers the same way. And he tells her that they have conspired to lie against the Holy Spirit and God, and she falls down dead. And the young men come and pick her up, take her out, and bury her. And then the next verse says this, And great fear came upon the whole church. I can't find the network connection. Oh. I'm not sure why that happened. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Okay, where was I? (laughs) Oh, fear filled the whole church. And this lady can't find a network connection. All right. (laughs) So... All right, so now if you break it down, did they murder anybody? Did they, were they pedophiles? Did they violate some child? Uh, And yet, they held back a little bit of money and made it look like they gave the whole thing. How serious does that sound to you? It doesn't sound very serious. However, the question is a good one. What made you think of doing such a thing? What made you think? You see, how you think is crucial in the battle for how you live. And so for some reason, God has chosen to use this illustration from the New Testament for the New Testament church to understand the severity of the battle that we face inside each of us. Each one of us must face our own battlefields. Each one of us must conquer the things that destroy us and destroy our relationships. It's serious stuff. So serious that Ananias and Sapphira paid the ultimate price for a simple deception. But the question is, what made you think that? How you think becomes the centerpiece of the battle that you're in. How you think. This is the beginning of soul care. The basic premise is this, that we are all broken in various ways, And to various degrees, we all carry brokenness in us. It's how we deal with that brokenness through the cross of Jesus Christ that matters to us and to how we grow in our faith. It's the only thing that matters. This little ceremony that we do is lovely. 
And I would never say it's any, anything less. However, it can mean nothing. It can mean nothing if we don't take what it means and put it into practice. It's just going through the motions. Anybody can come up here and grab a piece of bread and a little piece of juice or drink of juice and, you know, it's all good. But that is not the point. The point is, what are you thinking about during this? Are you thinking about what Jesus has done for you in setting you free? We all fail in many ways, James chapter 1 tells us. In fact, he even goes so far as to say, if we don't fail, we're perfect. And our whole body is in check. But we know that we can't be perfect, correct? And so anything less than that creates a sense of anxiety, creates a, a dichotomy inside the soul. And so God has purposely made it that way to give us a little unction in order to say to ourselves, enough of this kind of living, enough of this kind of activity. You see, if I struggle with being a thief, that's a symptom of how I think. The thieving part is the absolute obvious part. It's below that that really matters. Why am I a thief? If I struggle with anger, if I take out my frustrations on everybody else around me, that's the symptom. What's the problem is, it's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's what's making me think that this is the way to respond and react in relationships. This is soul care. This is about getting into the soul and saying, why do I do what I do and say what I say and act like I act? Why? And if it's not godly, if it doesn't bring glory to Christ, if it doesn't pursue holiness, which is already within me, then I need to come to grips with it, destroy it like David destroyed Goliath, and move forward. Even if it's as simple as not living in reality. Now, I'm going to simplify Ananias and Sapphira by saying that. They weren't living in reality. They were living in a fake world where they thought they could get away with telling some half-truths. Oh, folks, we think like that constantly, that we can get away with telling half-truths, that we don't fully explain ourselves, but that doesn't mean I'm lying, does it? Hello? You see, we need to get at the roots of what the problem. Now, I came out of a farm. <laughs> Part of my job was to go out in the field and pick, pick all the weeds. So either it was Mayfield or it was sow thistle or on occasion it was wild oats. Now, most of those weeds grow taller than the, than the crop. So you can see them, right? So my dad would say, okay, I want you to go out in this field today, and your job today is to pick all these weeds. And so I would start. He'd give me a bag, a sack, and I would go out, and I would start to pick the weeds. Now, the only way to pick a weed to keep it from coming back is what? Pull the root out. Are you with me? If you want to change how you think and understand why you do what you do and say what you say and hide what you hide, the only way to get at that is to get to the root and pull it out. That's the only way. And that's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's in community. It needs each other. James 5 says when we confess our sins to one another, that's where healing comes from. So confession is not a bad thing. 
Confession to each other I'm talking about. There is healing in that because now we have to be vulnerable and honest. And really, who wants to be that? We all would much rather come to a church where nobody asks us, how you doing? But they really mean, how are you doing? We would much rather come to church and say, how you doing? And the response is, hey, great. Doing great. Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Liar! Oh, we don't want to be doing that, do we? No, that's not our job. You know, I mean, it's a pleasantry, obviously. I'm picking on it. But at the same time, there's some depth to it that we need to explore. Soul care explores that. Jesus said, out of the mouth, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. This is Matthew 15, in case you want to study it later. Matthew 15, 18 to 20. Out of the things, out of the mouth, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these are what make us unclean. And then he has quite a list here. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. We're back to thinking again. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Peter asked Ananias, what made you think you could do this? Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Look at it. And then the thoughts move towards what? Symptoms. Murder. Adultery. Sexual immorality. Theft, false testimony, fancy way of saying, lying, slander, speaking poorly about others, making yourself look better than them, slander. Now, this is Jesus. So he has taken us on this crazy journey in like three sentences. It's what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And what comes from the heart are evil thoughts that lead to symptom actions. The sins that we bear, the sins that we produce, are not the problem. If you go to the doctor and you tell him that you have a big scab right here, and he says, oh, that's no problem. We'll just put salve on it. Everything should be okay. And you go back the next week and say, there's another one over here. And he goes, oh, no problem. We'll put some salve on it. Everything will be okay. And the next week you come back, there's one across your forehead. And you think, oh, that's no problem. We'll just put some salve on it. Everything will be okay. And pretty soon you start thinking, Doc, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to keep coming see you every week? Because you please take care of the underlying problem. That's where we're at. That's in the church, in our situation, in our context, is called soul care. We want to get to why we do what we do, and we want the cross of Jesus, front and center, to deal with the sin that's buried deep inside of our hearts that leads us down tracks and pathways that are not honest, that we hide. You know the song about what's in the secret, that Jesus loves us? That's a good song. That's a song saying, come on out into the light. And when you get out into the light, that's when we can see what the problems are. He is the light of life. He is a billion candle beam. And when he shines light on your soul, you see every little blotch. 
And he says, come on to the light so I can deal with it. I can set you free from it. You see, Jesus' ministry on earth was all about what? Setting people free. Everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. He was constantly setting people free. Why do you think those stories are there? To educate us. In what? His heart. His desire. His love. Real, genuine, sacrificial love that we're about to celebrate. Sacrificial to give up his life for your good. His love is there so that you can feel somewhat comfortable about walking into the light so that you can deal with your garbage, your junk that you really want to deal with anyway. That's what it's for. His light is what brings us healing. Healing. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who have unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, metamorphosis, into the likeness, into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This journey is drenched in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's He after? He is after Larissa looking just like Jesus. Twins. That's what He's after. He's after you and I looking like Jesus. And it's not just how he lived. It's why he lived the way he did that enabled him to live like he did. Right? This is what God wants for us. This is the journey of soul care. Mm. This happens over time. It's not usually a quick fight. It's usually a costly fight. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes determination in the Holy Spirit to get these things done. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, we don't, we live in this world. We, we are of this world. We, we're part of this world, but we don't wage war the way the world does. Well, how do we wage war? Well, the weapons that we fight with are weapons that demolish strongholds. Strongholds? What's he talking about? For example, do not let the anger, do not let your anger go down, uh, sorry, do not let the sun set on your anger. Why? Because if you don't deal with it, what happens? You give the devil a foothold, a place where he can set up operations, a little stronghold. You see, this is no game. This is serious stuff. If we do not deal with our anger, according to this passage in James, then we give the devil a foothold. Or sorry, it's Ephesians. We give the devil a foothold if we don't deal with our anger. And it's not because we should never be angry. Some people think, oh, you know, anger is all anger is a sin. No, it's not. God gets angry. So is he sinning? No. We can be angry and yet not sin. But we need to be angry at the right things. Most of us are angry at the wrong things. We're angry at each other. Or we're angry at ourselves. Or we're angry because our goals were blocked or whatever frustration comes along. And who gets the blast? Well, the people closest to us. The ones who are close enough to get sprayed with the yuck. 
And when we don't deal with our sin like that, we don't go, why am I like this? We give the enemy a foothold. I'm talking from experience here, as you may be able to notice. Romans 12 says that we should not be conformed to this world, Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed, metamorphosis, by what? Changing how you live? Nah, yeah, that's right. Transforming your mind. How you think. Like Peter said, what made you think that you could do this? Lie to God. And we know that Satan's involved. As soon as we get into the lying territory, when we're starting to lie to ourselves, Satan has a party. Why? Because he's a liar and the father of lies. And if he can keep you in a pretend world where you think everything's okay and you just carry on with life and everybody likes me, oh, eventually, what do they call that's The roosters come home to roost? The chickens come home to roost. No. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, the penny falls. The penny drops. Eventually, we crack. Now, that might be right away, or it could be 40 years later, where you crack, and guess what comes out? All manner of pus! All over everybody! You know, you think Corona's bad. This is a cracked soul. And out of it comes the most filthy stuff you could ever imagine. And it gets on everybody that we care about. And we crack. Eventually we do. We must deal with these things in the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and by the power of his living spirit within us. For the promise is we are new creations. And so we have access to life-changing, transforming power. Jesus, wherever he went, what did he declare? The kingdom of God is here. What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is his presence, his actual presence to bear on whatever it is we're struggling with. I'll close with this story. When I was in Bible school, second year, I believe I had a crisis of magnitude uh, 10.10 on the Richter scale, okay? I liked a girl, and somebody else took her. And he was my, one of my best mates. He was one of my best friends. Now, I was angry. He knew I liked he knew it. And I would go to sleep at night thinking of ways I could get him back. I was thinking of ways I could be so sweet to Vicky that she liked me more than him. And one day, we had a great speaker come, and he talked a little bit about this stuff, the soul care stuff. And while I was sitting there, I was in my chair, and I was fixed there because the Holy Spirit was talking to me. Why? What made you think that it's okay to think like this? Oh, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen to that. You know, if I listen to that, that means I'm going to have to make some changes. I might even have to apologize to Lee. No way am I going to do that. Pride, arrogance, 
deception. Why? Because I was living in conflicted soul, but I was okay with it because I was pretending to be okay with it. And I remember coming to the point where I had to say, okay, I need to get along with God. I need to, I need to get rid of this crazy, disgusting thinking that was in my head. And I had to get alone. So I, I found the most uh, soulless place in a dorm, which is hard to do, by the way. And it was in the male dorm, so, you know, it was not a mixed dorm, so it was in the laundry room, because no males ever do their laundry. <laughs> so I remember there was a gap. Now, it would be a lot smaller than it is now. But there was a gap between the dryer and the washer. And I slunk back into that little gap. And I decided I was not going to move until God helped me. And I stayed there a long time. I don't know how long it was. And I fought with God. And I wrestled with him. And I would go back and forth between being angry and upset and then wondering, why? What difference does it make? You know, and then I would start thinking, well, what does God want me to do? How am I supposed to handle this? And then I really started thinking about, well, you know what? If Jesus' death and resurrection, this was a help me. If Jesus' death and resurrection isn't powerful enough to help me with this, then what the hell am I doing here? Sorry for the language. But that's what I thought in here. If the power of a resurrected Jesus isn't able to help me with this angry jealousy, then what am I doing here? And I just poured out my heart. I cried. I wept. It was probably the most real time I've ever had up until that point. I've had a few more since then. But it was probably the most real time. I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school, went to youth group, went every time the church was open. We were at prayer meeting. I was a part of the church. But it was not until I got real with God. And that wasn't because, you know, bad teaching. I had great preaching, great teachers, great Sunday school teachers, great pastors. I had great parents. I had to come to this on my own. I had to realize that the junk in my soul was my junk and nobody else's. And I needed Jesus to heal me. I needed soul care. Now, I didn't know all these fancy principles. I wish I would have. That's why I encourage you to come to soul care. That's why I encourage you to don't, don't miss a week. Because this journey of soul care is fantastic. It's what sets us free. To live the way God wants us to live. Hallelujah. And I walked out of that closet, oh, I don't know, probably about four or five hours later. It was well after midnight. I remember feeling better. That's the best word I could use. I, could, I felt better, but I knew it wasn't over. That, does that make sense? I knew there was more to come. And oh, did I not understand what I was thinking about. Because the rest of my time at Bible school, the first few years of being a pastor, even now to this day, I still have to sometimes get alone. And now I schedule it into my appointment book. Get alone. Go to the way of holiness. Spend four hours there or five hours there. The first two usually are sleeping. So I'm ready for whatever it is that God puts on my heart to deal with. How I've dealt with somebody, how I thought about somebody, how I reacted to something a lie that I've been believing and telling myself. This is vital truth. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, 
then you're my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. You know, we kind of shorten that up and just say, oh, the truth will set us free. No, it doesn't. Holding to the teachings of Jesus, being a disciple, learning, and letting the truth then set us free by experience, by practice, that is what sets us free. So are you ready for a battle? You know, there's a lot of empty chairs in here, and I haven't seen anybody come in late, the 11 o'clock, forgot to set my time person. There's a few empty chairs in here. Let's invite as many people as we can to come along these next few weeks, these 10 weeks. And with, when it comes to the Soul Care Conference in May, 7, 8, and 9, if you need to take a day off from your employer, for goodness sake, take a day out. It's that serious. It is that helpful. And you will be set free in ways that you could never have imagined. You will, you will start to see some victory in some of these bad habits and bad ways of thinking and, and sourness that gets into our soul. You'll, you'll be set free. We'll be in groups of three. We'll, move, we'll break into triads together. And we'll confess our sins to each other. And we're going, okay, I'm not coming to that. Oh, people of God, don't think so shallowly. We are guilty of this in our culture I'm guilty just as much as the rest of us. We think about this deep when life is much, much deeper. Where does God desire truth? In the innermost being. Way deep inside. So that we can begin to grow out of it. Or sorry, have it grow out of us. Not grow out of it, but grow. Have it grow out of us. This is what we're up to. We're going to have communion now. I'm going to invite Pastor Alex and whoever he's got helping to come on up here. This is a perfect way to start the soul care journey with communion. Um, yeah, thank you, Kevin, for that tender message. Uh, I mean, it, it seemed to me as I was listening very fitting that after a message like this where we're talking about soul care and, and maybe for some of us that's realizing uh, like, okay, yeah, I really do have a soul. There's an inner part of me that desires to connect with God but is kind of aff afflicted by this thing we call sin. Um, and so as I reflected on that, I thought, wow, like this is a great way to turn towards the communion table together, right? Um, and so what, what I'll ask you to do is uh, we're, we'll, we'll pass out the elements up here. So we're going to start from the back as we normally do. Uh, so the back row balconies, you guys can come up first. Come up, uh, up, up the uh, aisle here, receive the elements, and just try to go around the outside back to your seat. And, and as the, the folks behind you are done coming up, uh, you in, in your row can then 